Welcome back. It's been a minute to the one and only IT in the D show. I'm your host, Bob Waltonspiel, hanging out with co-host, producer extraordinaire, Randy Walker. This is your insight into the tech scene in Detroit. You can find us online, itinthed.com. And do us a favor, give us a like on the socials and subscribe to us everywhere. Fine podcasts are sold. Guest this week, Justin Turk, he is the CEO of LiveGistics. We're going to be talking about the construction industry, how he brought technology into kind of an old kind of industry. We're going to be talking about Motor City Match. He's doing some cool stuff, being a mentor, uh, TEDx, all that good stuff going on. Um, basically, go to meetup.com slash IT and you can find us. Uh, if you're listening same day, we're going to be at uh, 54 West on the 20th of October in the back room. Good old-fashioned networking, no cover, no speakers, just a bunch of IT folks talking shop. We're all proud of Randy last last month. He held court. He's uh, we're, we're all proud of him. He all grows up now. So Randy, Randy might be holding court again. Uh, it, was, it was nice <laughs> seeing uh, Randy growing up. So, Justin, how you doing, man? How are you treating you? I'm great, great, man. Happy to be here. So uh, thanks for having me on. What What is uh, Randy hold court? What am I missing? Oh, he was, nah, man. Randy's always been kind of, I don't want to call him an introvert because Randy, Randy does Randy stuff. But like okay. at the last event, man, he was just like, there's a group of about 12, 15 people around him and Randy's in the middle just like conducting traffic, holding court, introducing people to people, asking good, <laughs> conver- asking good questions. He was, uh, you know, he got the networking game down, man. It's only been about 10 years, but he's, you know, he's finally, uh, he's finally graduated now. This isn't the first time. I'm just so. being fun. No, I give Randy a hard time, but he was it was good to see him holding court last time. So it was good uh, for you, Randy. Good for you, man. <laughs> we all um we all can step our game up. So So you got a pretty uh crazy origin story, man. You were you've been in the the construction industry for almost what close to twenty years. And then a little, you- a little longer. A little yeah, a little longer than that. Professionally twenty years. Uh Man, I, I think I picked up my first wheelbarrow when I was uh, probably 14, if that counts. If we count that. Right, yeah. You know, oh, you got A little bit longer than 20 to. years. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm 25 years plus, actually, uh, associated with industry. And honestly, I, when I was a child, I mean, yeah, I guess you go longer than that. But, Willie, I don't want people to think I'm too old, so let's keep it on 20. <laughs> That's 20 right. I was, I was selling clothes at the mall, man, when I was 16, so I still count that as sales experience, right? Man, who, who you know? It's funny. People still close, still close at the mall. I, I was uh, no, I was working a merry-go-round, man, selling commission only, <laughs> selling guest jeans and Z Cavalry. I remember, cheese, I remember merry-go-round. I remember yeah. merry-go-round. That's funny. So, I mean, you're going, you know, contracting, estimating. You're in the game. What possessed you to go start in a technology company in your in your in your business? Talk to me about that. Uh, man, there's so many answers I could give there. I, I'll say this, I. I 20 years professionally in the industry. Um, been a part of some major projects in the city of Detroit. Like I said, I, I grew up in construction around my father, my grandfather, even worked when I was an undergrad. I was a software um, um, developer. That was my undergrad degree, computer science, business system operations. But when I uh, had time, I would always work construction while I played football because it was easier just to hustle for the weekend or hustle for a couple of weeks. You couldn't get a full intern in the summer. So sure. always stayed in the industry, but working professionally, man, you know, it was, it was great to see a company grow, but it was a lot of headaches in the industry just dealing with, you know, from the time I got out of school and uh, early working in construction versus when I left, the actual practice on contractors, the administrative work involved in it is gone crazy. It's the reporting, all the stuff that you have to do. And then just, the, I mean, companies literally have to protect themselves, every bucket in the ground, every step of the way. It's gone to another level. Like, so seeing all of that, being all a part of all of that, 
you know, I, I just knew there had to be a better way to do business and protect your bottom line, but also being efficient in the field. And that's why we started Logistics. Well, I mean, like I can't just going back. I can't imagine the politics. Like I have some some friends, you know, that the third generation builders from their Italian grandfathers and the amount of politics that in that world is astronomical. Not only that, the guidelines and the, you know, all the things that you got to, all the check boxes you got to check before you can even kick off a project. It's got to just be numbing. It's crazy because uh, construction and politics almost like go hand in hand. I think construction, sports and politics are what you find in the room most often at any major construction, sporting or politic event. Like if you go to NLS3 and you want to check the box, you're always going to see, you're going to see construction, sports and politics. I don't know why, but yeah. So yeah, they, it is a lot of, it, it's a lot that goes on both the good and the bad, but that's just the nature of the beast. But you can argue sports, but you can't argue the other two, right? Those are those are fight starters. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you don't mention a p word, man. Most places you go, you stay. Away. That's the first one you stay away from. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we can argue about who the greatest is, LeBron and Michael Jordan. But anything after that, that's you there's, know, there's like, no argument. That's no argument. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, so I digress. So like. Real estate kind of got into the technology game, right? They've got these like cool interior 3D models. They got the drone photos. They got, you know, they're automating now the sales process and things like that. What did you see that needed help in the construction business? And what are you doing to solve it? So, so when you think about like 3D imaging and, and BIM, um, uh, which has come a long way in the construction industry, which is vertical above ground, where where you can actually have 3D modeling of, of you know new rooms, the designs of buildings. What hasn't really taken on any new technology is what happens below ground because it's, it's like the wild, wild west. Anybody that works in that industry, and I'm talking about heavy civil construction, infrastructure, anytime you put a bucket in the ground, there's so many liabilities involved in it that you can't, there's no definitive thing that's going to happen once you do that. Uh, so there hasn't really been a, a lot of technology in that space because number one, people aren't comfortable addressing it. And then number two, um, there really hasn't been a, 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 a baseline to develop like an expertise that this is how you operate underground using technology. So I was comfortable because I've been in the industry so long and, and, you know, with my background, I think we control what we can control. Like there's always variables, but looking at it from the aspect of, uh, what are the, the things that are key to every construction project that you know are going to control your bottom line, whether you win or you lose? And then what are those keys that control whether or not that you're doing your job or you're breaking the law? Like they're all kind of hand in hand. So That's underground, cool. let's go underground. What do you, you know, so I, I know like you're looking at floodplains. I don't know what that exact phrase is. You know the business better than I do, but you got to look <laughs> I at love that. the floodplains drop. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You got to look at, I mean, there's, we did a project. Uh, I'm on the uh, tax board at Auburn Hills and we did a, a building, but it was a, a former gas uh, station like back in the fifties. So like they had to do the, like a dig certain deep to make sure that the ground was good. Like what else, what else, and you know, obviously the miss dig stuff with gas lines and all that, but what, what else is involved in the underground? I'm just curious as to, um, so, so back to the floodplains, like yeah. whenever you, when it, so every, every region and every state has a, a different variables. So if you are in Livonia and like in Southeast of Michigan, we know the water table is really high, right? Water table. That's, that's the phrase. Yeah. 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 You know, the water table is really high. So the clay, the sand that you're going to get into is going to be a different dynamic when you're actually trying to install something underground versus if you're downtown Detroit, right? It's literally changes that much. And we know in Mitchell Detroit, 
that when you drill down and you have to hit hard pan, which is like the stable area, uh, when you want to build any major structure on, hard pan is like 138 feet in Michigan. And if you go like further west and you go further south, that 138 feet, you know, comes up to 77 feet or something like that. So the nature of the beast is that whenever you put a bucket in the ground, you're dealing with different types of soil which determine like the structure that you can build and what you need to do to build it. You're dealing with water. Like you're dealing with the elements of the earth in general, just whether you're doing it in the winter, you're doing it in the summer, um, you're doing it in the spring, you're doing it in the fall. Right. And then you're, you're dealing with just the constrictions of building on a job site. So like all of these things go into play when you put a bucket in the ground. That's why if you ask most developers, they are their most nervous about a project as far as their budget until they get out of the ground. They always say this until I get out of the ground, I'm going to feel very uncomfortable because I can't control that project until I go vertical. And that's the part where we say, Hey, this is where the pain point is. Um, not only for our, our projects, but also for our communities. If we can figure out and get visibility and understanding on this process. We can impact quite a bit. And that's really our focus. So yeah, I guess talk to me about your software again. I mean, that's the, you're try, I guess you're trying to bring technology to an old, you know, old business, but like, you know, the problem that you're solving, is it just, uh, is it visibility? What is it getting everyone on the same page? Like what at the end of the day is like your sauce? Uh, so sauce number one is, is visibility, but not just for the, the owner of a company or the project manager estimator, but we have an ecosystem. Like we believe that when you're talking about putting the bucket in the ground, there's usually three strategic partners that are involved in it. Uh, one being a contractor, one being a transporter, and then one being the owner or the developer of a project. So for our, my understanding, and obviously there are things that are proprietary to every company, but when you share the data that is important to those three stakeholders, then you're winning on all fronts, right? So that's the first premise in what we do, but we do it in a way where it's not related to reporting. Like a lot of times I talk about from the beginning of the industry to now, um, the, the amount of paperwork and reporting you had to do is improve, is it's increased tremendously. So people have departments that just report on data, whether it be lead accreditation, whether it be some type of certification, all they do is report. And what we found is that people in the field don't like to report. They don't like to document things, right? They just like to do their job and go home, right? But understanding that doing your job and go home is great for you. But when you think about the nature of the business and it's time to protect that business, or it's time to understand if you want a loss, it's not good for the business. So we think about that from two aspects. I want to make sure that the, the, the end user in the field can just do their job. So we have mobile apps that allow them to do their job. No new, no new workflows for what they do in a day-to-day operation. And we automate as much of this as possible. And this is related to like um, a truck comes in. We automate as much of that process as possible. But this is what they do on a day-to-day operation. And what we call it is taking tedious tasks and creating automated workflows. Automated workflows. So from one person doing their job in the field, there's actually an automated workflow for an accountant, a project manager, an estimator, as, as well as an owner that benefit from that person doing the same job. No new reporting, no new tasks that you're giving them. They're simply, hey, if you do your job and instead of you actually collecting a piece of paper, you digitally collect it um, the same way you would if it was handed to you, then everybody wins. Your company is protected tremendously because of the audit trail. You get key performance indicators in real time that let you know how your job is trending. And what we found is that two two things that we found is that by automating workflows, people have a lot more data to make decisions today that affect their bottom line, number one. And then number two, when people have better data to make better decisions about their business, they're usually more responsible about the communities that they're in because usually responsibility and profits go hand in hand. And for the longest time, 
Most people in construction think those things were counterproductive and they're really not. Responsibility and profits can coexist. And we teach people that with our software. So I always thought IT guys were the only ones that didn't like to document. And you're telling me construction don't either? No. Oh, man. There might be the original. There might be the real original reason why you had Confluence and Jira. Construction right, right, right. Oh, I mean, how do you get like the OG guy that's been on the work and been on the, you know, been a hard hat for 30 years and tell him he's got to use this, this stuff now? Is it like eye roller or is it like, I mean, obviously explain the benefits to me, man. It's crystal clear to me. And I'm sure the person that's, that owns the job is doing it the same, but like, it's just like, Hey, this is the way it is now. You know, um, there is anxiety, like for the end user, the guys in the field. I, I mean, I, I remember talking to truckers and they're like, man, I didn't sleep all, all night because I had to use this app. And then you show them how to use the app and they say, well, that's why I I didn't lose sleep. The biggest thing they combat is anxiety because, you know, our team at Logistics, obviously I'm the CEO, but we've got um, a lot of people on our team who are construction experts, you know, with multiple degrees in the construction space. And then we've got tech experts as well. So when we design a product for the end user, we design it understanding the workflow on the job site. Like so it's it makes sense to them. Once they use it, we do have to combat anxiety. There is a bit of education area with marketing, understanding the aspect. But at the end of the day, you know, um, we have to make sure an owner understands that this is to protect your bottom line because most of this industry is retiring in the next five years. Yeah. Right. You got baby boomers who are walking out of the door. And if you don't create new processes, if you don't use data to understand how your business operates in the field, then all of that knowledge. All of that that experience that um, has been building your business for the last 15 to 20 years is going to retire with you, right? So part of it is, hey, the anxiety, we get over the anxiety. It's easy to use. Um, you know, customer adoption is, is high for our, our, our software. The other part is, hey, business owner, if you if you did an average age on the most of the people in your your um, your workforce and you add, and I asked you how long you want to be in business, that, that long list in business is a lot longer than these guys got left before they retire. So you might want to think about using tech to make sure that the knowledge that, that um, is in your business stays in your business and doesn't walk out the door when they retire. No, absolutely. I mean, I grew up, you know, my uh, German immigrant parents and all my uncles, they're all tool and die makers, man. And I could just imagine handing one of those guys a tablet <laughs> and telling them <laughs> they got to learn to do this new stuff. And I could just imagine the argument. So like, yeah, I could see the, 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 uh, the donkey kicking when you're giving someone some new technology, but no, I under- completely understand how, you know, games got to change eventually. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And uh, we want to be a part of change. We want to be a part of solution. This is coming like this is I'm so I'm so confident that the industry not only um, is going to go this way, it has to. When you think about um, the nature of where we're going as an as a uh, as a country, as a world, like as we're thinking about um, what sustainable futures look like um, in the nature, it has to be more yielding towards tech. I mean, the tech, the construction industry um, represents 39 percent of the carbon emissions that go into our environment. 39%, one industry. If you had to point out one industry in this entire um, country that was the biggest contributor to like what we call an issue with our environment, you point to these guys. So like it's, we got to do a lot of things differently in our in our industry. It's great that we're, we, we, we're one of those industries that are considered essential workers. One of those things that whether the economy is good or bad, construction is always a conversation in the room. But at the end of the day, we got to become more responsible. And it starts with technology. It ends with environmental impact. And that's kind of the way that, that no matter what anybody says, it has to go. So talk to me about that. What's the, is it the, is it the trucking emissions? Is it the unearthing? What is the, what's the biggest uh, factor that's, that's contributing to the, to the, you know, to the. Uh... Well, the two things, the, the transportation, anything related to trucking. And this is from raw good all the way to deliverable at a job site. That's all the logistics related to that. 
have a huge amount of carbon emissions in, involved in it. And the other amount is we think about how much paperwork of uh, an industry is still on paper produces. I'm talking about when I was in the industry, we had paperwork about paperwork about paperwork. So like the workflows in the industry have to become more digital. Like literally, even when we go auto automated, we still have to encourage people where they would use the software and then they would print something out. It's like, wait a minute, that's not what you do. Like you don't need to print it out. You know, people still like to fill a paper. So there's a, a huge learning curve there. But construction in general, we waste a lot in our paperwork. And some there's been some tech that's improved that process, but we still have a long way to go. And we, we think that we want to be, a, we're going to be a, a big part of it. So you hear, you hear the salivation right now from all the cloud storage salespeople and all the database <laughs> uh, developers. You know, oh, it's sizzling. There's going, oh my God, new industry. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. We can, we can flip the whole company online. So have you done any math on, uh, I always like math, like ROI, like from a, from a process improvement standpoint, from a, from a, from an actual developer business owner, you know, what, do, what's the pro, what does it look like to them on the, on the end of the day? So return on investment first, you like the soft, to pay for the software return on investment for a typical, typical civil company. It's a six X first year. So really? with the first six months, you're going to, you're going to return on investment six times what you actually pay for the software. Like, and we've got it all broken down. Um, our landing pages, they can go on and they can actually play with the calculator and put in uh, and put in the uh, data the way that they understand it. Um, and then it'll spit out the calculation, let them show. Yep. That's exactly what we're talking about. Um, and the same thing on the trucking aspect, the actual return on investment on trucking, our trucking platform is about a 10 X in six months. So when you think about it that way, um, it's a no brainer, but like I said, it's change management. You got to get people comfortable using technology, but like what we really preach is business as usual. When people say this is business as usual, which is mostly what you hear in the industry, um, it usually means that I'm okay with wasting money. Like if they, if you really peel all of that back, business as usual means I'm okay with letting this money go out the door. Yeah. There's a, we had a, I had a unique conversation this morning about somebody in the automotive industry is a technologist. And he was like, you know, why do you do it this way? He goes, that's the way we've always done it. And he's like, just because okay, we'll waste the money. That's just because exactly. one person told you eight years ago, that doesn't mean that's the way you always have to do it. You know, there's it's there's, funny when people say that when you really start asking questions, what they're saying is, I'm okay with wasting money. Yeah. Well, then who told you? It's like, well, somebody, yeah. one person told me a long time ago. Well, you know, it's not because Detroit, I think, is we're notorious for that from a. So we're, 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 you know, we're trying from at least on our manufacturing side, you know, building digital twins and looking at ways to improve manufacturing, things like that. It's, uh, all the things you're saying sound familiar with, with different industries. But are you are you unique or I, I can't imagine like you don't, do you have direct is are people doing what you're doing or are you um, there? There's there? I would say in the aspect of, of our particular our particular field, a unicorn. There are what we call e-ticketing e Department of Transportation. It's saying, hey, man, we can't even accept all this paperwork. I mean, before the pandemic, they, they when they stopped taking paperwork during the pandemic, and this is them die, it got it became the Wild Wild West for a, a little while there, but they've gotten under control and they know they need to go to a more digital reporting process, reporting process, because you know, like they don't have enough people to audit all of these jobs. And, and we're talking about spending more money on more roads. You think about it, in order to make sure that's 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 done properly, there's a process there. So yeah, people are thinking about it that way. We are on the environmental side where we're the way that we're going about this. We're the, our biggest customers is waste management. We're the, we're inside of uh, landfills in six states right now, and that number is growing every week. We're the only ones looking at it that way. We're we're actually uh you know we're we're growing our platform from an environmental aspect. That's really been our focus. 
Uh, we've also added some uh, some major suppliers on the other side, but we're looking at it from a really conclu- inclusive ecosystem. Like it's not just one user we're solving; we're solving the issues for three super u- three user types, and it's all operational. Meaning that the platform is built for their business specifically, but it, we tap it in, tap them into a network of users that allow all these businesses to benefit. I think from that aspect, we're the only ones looking at it that way. But I, like I said, there's in the industry. I think. This industry is so big, it's got to change. I think we are very unique in our value proposition um, because of the automated workflow we create out of the, out of the task. But I think there's so much room in this industry. There's going to be a lot of people that just say, "Let's go do that" because it's so big. It's such a big deal. I mean, your your bottleneck. I mean, you can grow exponentially because there's software. Your bottleneck is just how many people can I talk to today, right? Exactly. Exactly. How how can I get the uh, message out? Bottleneck. It, it, like I said, change management. Get over the anxiety. Um, I've had people tell me. You know, uh, paperwork is is uh, is safer than going digital in the cloud. You know, you had that that era where the cloud people people were hacking people's phones, and now people sure. think the cloud's not. I'm like, wait a minute, you understand that if you put something in the file cabinet and like the building burns down, it's, that's it's over. Same right? shit. Yeah, cloud, cloud has redundancies. Like, it, it, like there's there's we're SOC two compliant. You know, that's because we deal with enterprises. So from a security aspect, no, you're not safer in the <laughs> on pieces of paper. And from a value proposition. You know, our, our software is GPS um, got track. It's got timestamp. It's got authentication, all of these things related to it. Your paperwork doesn't. So fighting that part of the industry is still um, the biggest challenge because you got so many people who believe business as usual. But we're, we're finding some what we call power users who really like celebrate what we're doing and be like, man, this is it. And those are going to be early adopters. And those early adopter numbers are growing. But just like I think we went, we didn't used to have cell phones in cars or we didn't used to have email. Yeah. I think the industry just, it, there's no way this industry can exist, um, you know, in 10 years the way it does right now. And it's come a long way. So, you know, we're happy about that. No, it's good to see. I don't want to say it's like one of the last great, you know, bastions of opportunity for tech, but it sounds like it is. It It is a major, um, it's, it's a, it's a major issue in, uh, in 2022 that we still um that we still deal with this you know so but i mean for every for every dan's excavating you got 25 like you know father and son uh, you know operations going on right so i mean how do you how do you get to them is it is it necessary um no it's it is necessary all of them um like whether it's a company as big as dan's or it's a company as small as you know Bob and Justin's excavating. Yeah, um, there's a great return on investment by going digital for both parties' applications. It's not as if, and, and honestly, what I will say with with new generation companies is better to start early, using data for your advantage. And we've seen that as well. Like there are some new stage companies in market that come in here thinking more data driven, and when you do that, actually it's a better winning proposition for you because one of the biggest misconceptions in this industry is that um, everybody knows how to make money. And that's not necessarily the case. They hope at the end of the year they make money. But in the industry, most people don't have the key performance indicators or don't look at a screen and say, I'm making money today. What they do is they ask people to count up the pluses and minuses and they say, did we make money? Okay, Christmas party this year. (laughs) And there's so much more you can do with your data if you start early on, really understanding it and modeling it in a way that allows you to be at work better, uh, perform better in the field, understand your supply chain issues, understand how you can use those to your advantage. Like data is, is, is king in this industry. And that's really what we're, we're really, uh, we're, we're celebrating 
with all the companies we deal with. No, I love it. I love it. And you're doing a lot, you know, back to the community. You're working with uh, Motor City Match, doing some stuff with Barton Malo and Bedrock, being a mentor. What are you doing? Uh, what are you doing in that world? Uh, so they've got a program where, um, you know, early adopted uh, construction companies are have mentors um, that really try to um, try to help them take their companies to the next level, right? And and me, you know, being a, in the industry for so long, I got so many connections. I was a part of so many um, amazing um, projects. Um, I, I sometimes don't consider myself a veteran, but being in the industry, I was very successful. Um, so I've been able to, to lend my expertise to that room and help people along the way. Like I said, uh, there are so many people that are in the industry with great hearts who mean well, but just from a strategic perspective are not going about it the right way. And, and, and the thing is the infrastructure spend is going up tremendously. Like, like the amount of money that's going to be spent in construction in the next 15 years is going to double. So trillions more dollars, whether the government spends or not, is going to come in here. Like, Infrastructure is a major problem for our, our, our country. It's going to, the money's there. Problem is that no matter what we've done, and think about this in the last 30 years, every dollar that you spend on the labor and construction, you've yielded the same amount of production out of them in the last 30 years. No improvement in production. Hmm. Every dollar you yielded in, in manufacturing, they've actually doubled their output. So, like somewhere in manufacturing, they figured out how to get more out of one person with technology, with manufacturing, with all these advances. We got all these massive pieces of equipment, all these exotic different things, yet we aren't any more productive in the construction industry. And a, a lot of it lends to us not understanding the, the things that are, are important and integral to making money, understanding how production, how we can really improve the efficiency of our products. That's the biggest yield, and we haven't improved it. We got to do something. So I got to ask the devil's advocate question, right? So like a lot of people say, hey, automation is killing jobs, right? And you say, you know, manufacturing, they're doubling output. So it's like, you know, if I'm thinking about this as a worker, I'm going, all right, cool. You're doing it with half the workforce. You know, I want I want I need to save my job. No, I mean, what do you, what do you, is that, am I accurate or I'm just, uh, am I just throwing sand against the wall? No, I, I think from, if you looked at it from a small window, somebody may say that, right? But yeah, yeah. two things you got to understand. Um there's the the job shortage right now in construction is six hundred fifty thousand people and growing, right? That number this this year alone, six hundred fifty thousand people and growing. So when you have less people and your material cost goes up tremendously, you're gonna end up paying more money. Like so while you may think that you're you're winning on job security, when the construction market goes up, when the house costs more to build, you eventually pay for that. And I mean by you, I mean all of us. So if material costs are going through the roof and we have a worker shortage, so we have to do we have to bid work more and more expensive and the cost of a house, cost of a building, cost of a road, all these things go up. Right. That means that our tax dollars are not being as efficient as they see use. We can't outrun that. Right. So figuring out how we can actually man the workforce, how we can get wages um, compatible with where they should be in this market, which they have been. You notice they can't they can't take this work overseas like it's not going anywhere. It's going to be done in your neighborhood. So it's, it's not like uh, it's crazy, though, like trying to like I know like you know, there's been building all around my my area, my neighborhood and where I live. And yeah. like there's jobs that stop and it's either they're missing materials or they can't get work. And then you can't get like if you need got a small siding job at my house, they won't come out unless no. it's like the whole, you know, a big job. It's tough finding it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. And, and we're trying and, and I don't know. I, I don't know. It's like everybody disappeared. Like before, it was almost two, 2008 is when it started to get, started to go down quite a bit. And now it's just like, can does anybody work in this industry? Like, and this is one of the most stable, like essential worker industry. If you had to look at essential worker, this is the industry with the biggest amount of impact 
over the next 20 to 30 years from from a building perspective. It's a great renaissance in cities. And I think people don't understand there's not opportunity just for you to work. There's opportunity to have businesses. And I mean, earning millions of dollars if you come in and you perform and you get the right people on your team, it, it's all right there. They're looking for people to do the work. So yeah. opportunities are bound. Well, and there, it's funny thing. The interesting thing that just came up to me last like couple months is they're supposed to be, build a huge assisted living facility right in my kind of in my block. Yeah. And uh, they stopped. The project stopped. And we're like, why? And they said, well, COVID, like we're going to have to wait 10 more years to get to maintain the level that we had. And we can't fill up these two other facilities from, from old folks. So like, there's no sense in even building it. So they're putting up executive apartments and it's just funny how they're not stopping building. They're just shifting in what they're building. Yeah, it is. That is, that's a new one. I don't think I've heard that one, but um, I, I, like I said, I don't see it, uh, the market going away. Obviously we got to get more creative in our manners. Like we, you got, I mean, whether it's new buildings or whether it's new water mains, you know, like, like pick one. Um, you got to teach them how to name the apartments, though, man. Everything's the Jordan, the Brunswick, the, the, the Griffin, the you know the Griffin. Yes, that's that's I've seen that one like ten times lately. So yeah, you're right. The two by me or the Brunswick because it used to be an old bowling alley, and then the Jordan. I don't know. They probably for Michael. So uh, and then uh, you're doing something warm to my heart. You know, obviously 2018, where I was lucky enough to be able to speak at TEDx. Uh, but you got a, you got a seat this year. What are you talking about? Uh, obviously, um, surprise here. Um, I'm talking about construction. No, uh, get out of here. <laughs> go figure. No, I, I'm talking about technology, construction. I'm talking about STEM. Um, what I call it is the endangered species, the construction professional. I think you'll love um, kind of the segue and the entrance of the speech. But I am going to talk about like the like this used to be a cool thing to do, a cool thing to be a part of. It used to be very family oriented. It used to be a big part. All of our families had somebody in this industry. And then all of a sudden, like it became taboo to have somebody in construction or it became something that wasn't even as popular. And, and the crazy part, I I mean, I even had kids say, if I don't get a job doing this, I'm just going to go work on the line on the factory. I'm like, really? Have you seen the race lately that, that, that you get paid for working in a plant versus what you get paid to be an operator on a piece of machinery? Have you seen a benefit package? Have you seen a retirement? Like, have you looked at all these things before you make that decision or just what everybody's saying? So trying to really the rebirth of cool for the construction industry. So that's really what I'm talking about. It's a great song, by the way, to others rebirth the slick. Sorry. There you go. Thinking. It is. Rebirth. <laughs> right. It's You're funny, right. man. Cause I did one of those corporate retreats where they let you like play with backhoes and bulldozers and all that. And oh, all my, my Italian buddies are like, man, I could have let you in the yard anytime you want. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're paying money for that. Um, yeah. But no, hey, Justin, we're going to cut you loose, man. I can't, uh, I can't thank you enough for the time, man. This is a super cool thing you're doing right in our backyard, too. Um, Justin it. Turk, CEO, LiveGistics.com. We'll put all the links in the notes. Uh, but good luck at TEDx. Good luck with the mentor program, man. It's always great talking to you. Great talking to you as well. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me on the show. I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Justin Turk, we're going to cut things loose here at the IT and the D show. On behalf of uh, Bob and Randy, do us all a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it. See you tonight.